Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Jason Snell. He, he's, he's been creating content that you've read for for since since the early 90s it's been a long time <laughs> since the dawn of time how's it going jason it's it's great great to be here thanks uh thanks for inviting me yeah it it is a pleasure to host you um right off the bat i want to talk about the mac that you're working on right now because i think it's probably going to be my next computer too what is it uh what do you have i have the retina I, well i guess it's officially called the 27-inch iMac with Retina 5K display. That's a really great name, Apple. Uh, but that—that that is what I'm talking to you from right now because I'm writing a review of it, and uh, therefore all my stuff is hooked up to it now. And that's kind of awkward because this is hard drive doesn't have my stuff on it. But <laughs> here I am. So, so yeah, it's it's here. So we'll wait for the amazing review you're going to do. But first impressions. Uh, you know, the big story is the screen and the screen's exactly what you might expect. If you've seen, you know, just your iMac or iPad, uh, get upgraded to retina, you know what this is like. If you've seen a uh, retina MacBook pro, you know what the Mac interface looks like on retina. And then this is, you know, almost 15 million pixels. So it's a giant 27 inch iMac, just like the other ones, except there are four pixels doing the job of every one pixel on that 27-inch iMac, which is why there are almost 15 million of them. So text is good, you know, looks sharp like it, like it was printed. Uh, photos look kind of impossibly detailed. All the same things we said about the last time other products have gone uh, to a high-resolution display. And you look at it and you think, this is, this is what it should have been all along, but the technology was just never there. And uh, is it necessary in life? Probably not, but it's, it's awfully nice it does the web look like crap again i have been pleasantly surprised at the sites i mean granted i go to a lot of mac nerd sites i've been pleasantly surprised at the sites that look good where they're they're actually loading retina images if you go to some sites um they're not and then i wouldn't say it looks like crap i'd say it looks i mean you you notice that it's not as good as it could be but it's it's like what it was on a non-retina display so it's like a little window into your past when you see one of those (laughs) screens but um you know a lot of sites a lot of sites have have retina graphics now and and uh especially when you see one of those then it's that's that's really beautiful i was looking at mac stories um this morning and and realizing that you know all those graphics that federico vatici is posting are retina and you can tell because they look retina on the retina display instead of looking like they're at you know low resolution which so yeah it's also even on the worst graphics uh web page the text is all rendering in retina so you know it it looks okay because you know that makes up for it if you're reading a story on a newspaper site and the photo is it doesn't look great the text still looks great so there's always something there that's that I've seen. I've seen. Uh, I've seen uh, what's uh, Retina MacBook Pro for like ten seconds uh, uh, when it first came out, like on release day. I got to see one with Engadget, but um, I, I immediately forgot what uh, the depth of color and and the crispness of it as I went back to my like Dell monitors that I use at home. Sure, um, it's almost like you need that moment where you turn from <laughs> one to the other and go, ah, right. Well, I had that forget. moment. Oh, I had yeah. that moment, and I, I all of a sudden felt like everything I owned was garbage. But somehow that faded. I got used to it again. Yeah, that's exactly. I think that's exactly what happens to, to anyone is you get used to the lower resolution. We've had that for all this time. You get used to it. You, you know, is is it nicer having the high resolution? Absolutely. And then, I mean, it really is nice. It's beautiful. Um, it's a big, beautiful screen, and and having the text be nicer is nicer. Again, not totally necessary. The other nice thing is that they the, these the chips on on the uh, on the iMac, both the, the GPU and the uh, and the CPU are uh, higher end than previously has been in an iMac. They're not you know Xeons like on the Mac Pro, but these are um, high end processors they they're really fast and so as a result you know you got a you got a what is a four gigahertz 
i7 at the high end. <laughs> I mean, nice. it's insane. So, um, and this one that I'm using is the 3.5 gigahertz i5. Yeah. So this is a, it's not just a good screen, but it actually, for people who really demand a lot of, of performance, this is going to be a high performance Mac that's going to have um, a decent life, I think, because it's so um, powerful right now that it's going to, it's going to last for, for years, which is good too. Did you read Marco's article about the iMac versus the Mac Pro? I did. I did. And I, you know, I think he's, he's right that, um, the Mac Pro has got some really limited, um, a li- really limited audience. And, and for very specific things, it's worth getting it if you're one of those people. But, um, if you want Retina on the desktop, the Mac Pro is not going to get you there for a while yet. And uh, I think everybody was hoping that Apple would do a, a like 27-inch Retina display like this iMac, except with an external display. But there are lots of issues with getting all that data over a cable. Right. Yeah. Um, and here on the iMac, they don't have to do that, right? They just built it in. And it's just right there. Um, and you can't use it. It's not like the other iMacs where there's a target display mode that you can use it with an external – as an external display. That's not – it doesn't do that. It's – it's just not possible right, right now. Well, again, you'd have to be piping in like Thunderbolt two into it. Yeah, so. you'd need two two mini DisplayPort or two DisplayPort one point two or so. It's only an insane amount of of, of bandwidth. So uh, you know, I, I I think my thesis is that that there's a whole lot of people who um, are Mac users who were thinking about the Mac Mini because it was sort of like good enough and there was a quad-core model and they were thinking about the Mac Pro where they bought a Mac Pro because it it was the the power choice and uh, and those those products are both marginalized a little bit more than in the past uh, with the new Mac Minis not supporting quad core anymore, they're much more of a down down market product than they than they were you know the last rev right. two years ago. Um, and so then there's the iMac in the middle, and there's this Retina iMac, and there are a lot of people who I think would not have been caught dead buying an iMac uh, in the past. Who you know this is the shiny thing now. It's yeah, it's the first time in a me. long time that the iMac is the the shiny thing. There's an iMac that is like the Mac to get, and that's where we are. Yeah, I mean, iMac was always what my parents had. You know, it was like an all-in-one computer that they didn't oh, yeah. have to worry about. For the rest of us, and, yeah. But uh, I was always a Power Mac guy, right? I always had a Power Mac G4, um, and the, and and then a G5, um, yep. and then I went kind of all laptop. But the idea of buying an iMac, we did buy an iMac, but it was like the home iMac that I bought for my wife to use in our in in her job and she was working out of our house uh, you know it wasn't my iMac it was like yeah you can have an iMac whatever um, and now yeah I'm absolutely going to buy one so, what's so your, here we are what's your current everyday machine uh, 11 inch MacBook Air um, with a it's a build to order i7 so it's the it's the maxed out Air from last year yeah and um, at my desk I put it in a I put it in a, in a little dock and hook it up to a 24 inch external monitor and stuff um, but that's my that's my system right now and generally it does the job but every now and then I have that moment of um, realizing I try to do something usually involving video and uh, the two cores uh, can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, I mean, those are the moments where I think I need something else. That's my uh, that's my my daily computer is a 13 inch maxed out Air, and then I do a lot of podcasting and music composition on a mini. And I was really excited about the new minis until the iFixit teardown. Yeah. When you find out all of the RAM is soldered to the motherboard, and it's kind of a, uh, I'm kind of sad. Oh. Like I said, they're going they're going down market with that. That is now the cheap and and you you know I I was hoping this wasn't the case when they said it in the in the keynote, but it, it is the case that when they when they phrased it as it starts at four ninety nine and this is a great first Mac for for people who haven't had a Mac before and people on a budget and I thought <laughs> well there are other people who like the Mac Mini too um, and then I saw the specs and I thought oh this is why they said that because it isn't what it was I mean the last Mac Mini line there was a server model that had two terabytes yep. of storage which is the only Mac sold um, with its stock configuration with more than a terabyte and um, and it also had uh, quad core processor options which. Um, you know, to, uh, otherwise you got to go go up to uh, a much more expensive system, or you've got to go to the MacBook Pro 15, I think, and uh, those are all gone. <laughs> so, yeah. 
now it's not that because I was that was what I was going to get for my for my desktop here because I, I needed some more processing power than the than the air could give me. And now that I'm working on a desk, you know, here every day instead of toting a laptop back and forth between here and an office, um, it, it I was just going to get a MacBook or a, a Mac Mini and plop it down for uh, a quad core Mac Mini, and they got discontinued. So, oh well. I, I feel your pain. Yeah, we're we're yeah. in agreement. Yeah, that that was the. That pushed the Mac Mini up into almost like a, a mid-range system, not a Mac Pro, but something more than a, an entry-level model. And it's uh, Apple – well, one of the people who did a teardown, they, they said they looked at the, at the board and they, they said they basically would have needed to do two different boards for a, a quad-core and a dual-core. And that's, that would be ridiculous for a build-to-order system to, you know, you, to not just swap in the chip but have to swap in a different board. So that, I think there's some Intel motherboard processor compatibility reasons why they went for no quad-core on those systems but you know regardless it's kind of a shame because that was a uh the idea that there would be a quad core processor and a mac mini um that was a new chip generation was exciting and it it was not to be i haven't let a systematic get this nerdy for a long time sorry no it's it's totally appropriate it's the season (laughs) yeah exactly um speaking of you uh you spent 17 years with macworld I did. That I is, did. In today's tech world. Yeah. In today's tech world, that is a, that's a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it is. Um, there, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, I always had a different job. I mean, like every couple of years, I was never bored. I talked to people who, um, changed jobs a lot and they said, well, you know, you do a job for a while and then you want to do something different. So you go do something different. And, and, um, I have to give credit to Macworld. They never, you know, up until the end, I suppose they never they never um, stopped challenging me with something new and exciting. So I, you know, I was the I was a features editor, and then I was the website editor, and then I was the the like in charge of I was like the number two, and then I was the editor in chief. Um, and, and then meanwhile, you know, we were also doing converting you know, dragging a print magazine structure into the modern day and having people think about the web. And so there were a lot of challenges for, I mean, it was not, my job when I started was not, did not remotely resemble my job when I left. So um, it, it is, you know, it was the same company. Also, I got to say, if you're somebody who likes writing about Apple um, and uh, other technical stuff, uh, there were not that many places to go at, until relatively recently right. that could offer that. I kind of was at the place where you got to do that. And they kept me um, engaged and interesting, interested. It was only in the last few years where I started to get frustrated that um, that company was not able to uh, try new and interesting things or take risks or branch out. And it became more of a batten down the hatches, uh, cutting costs and kind of survival mode sort of thing and that was that was when it started to get a lot less interesting and that's when i started to really think i, I gotta get out of here and and out of curiosity how long were you in that uh, i gotta get out of here position before it was forced on you well it was so um i would say at some point in in 2013 uh probably like spring of 2013 i started talking to my wife about the fact that i was unhappy and i wanted to leave and then through that summer we kind of she came around from being like oh that's scary to being you got to get out of there (laughs) like she she swung all the way around um so i would say it was probably um more than a year um and probably more if i'm being honest more like a year and a half that I was uh, pretty sure that I needed to get out of there. And it was just a question of how to do it and where to go and how to plan my departure and what I wanted to, and what I wanted to do next. And, and uh, so when the day, when the day finally come, I mean, I w- finally came, I was really ready for it. I, I, uh, I was, I was prepared. I had, I had been preparing for a year. I set up a, a home office um, and equipped the whole thing and, I uh, was doing some work from home days there, but it was all set up as my place where I was going to work um, full time at some point. So I, I had a lot of time to prepare. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of my colleagues who ended up getting laid off the the, the, the same day, um, they didn't have that chance. And I, I never anticipated that that's how it was going to play out, that I, I was going to leave. I always figured it would be just like I decided I need to do something else. But, hey, you know, all my buddies are still there and I wish them well. And that didn't happen. So that was, that's too bad. So they're all still, you know, they've had about a month to 
start figuring out that stuff. But I, I was so dissatisfied that I was already, I was already laying all the groundwork because I knew I, I just had to go. So, so, so you would say pretty early on in that process, you, you had the plan to do what you're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, I'd always, I mean, obviously we, we started, we started, uh, uh, using John Gruber as a freelance writer right when he was starting to do daring fireball. Um, uh, and he, he wrote, so I remember, uh, I forget even what the article was. He wrote a BB edit how to for us. And, and I remember him telling me at, at that point that we paid him more for that article than he made on daring fireball that year. <laughs> um, because he wasn't making a lot of money on daring fireball and, you know, he was doing this indie thing. And so I, I've known people like John doing this for a long time. And when Jim Dalrymple left IDG, he went and started the loop and, and I, I started to, uh, and I saw obviously another huge inspiration would be what Federico Fatici does with Mac Stories, and I, I, I'm sitting there thinking these are people who know about the stuff I know about, and they and they want to write about it like I want to write about it, and they are on their own essentially doing this, and this is what they do, and quite frankly, a lot of the stuff that they do and the way it's presented on their sites is as good or better than anything that we've managed at MacWorld. At MacWorld, we had a really great team of writers, but you know the site was, uh, you know not under our control and junked up with a lot of revenue generating junk that there are lots of reasons why that was the case. But in the end, you know, I would look um, at what was happening on the outside and think that's better. I could do that. I would love to try to do that. And not like I will be a huge success at that, but like, I'd like to try that. And, and so when I got closer to deciding to leave IDG, that was always what I was thinking is I want to give that a try. And I'll kick myself if I don't give it a try. And I, I don't quite frankly know if I'm going to be able to do this um, for for my for my living going forward, or if in six months or a year, uh, my wife and I are going to look at the finances and say, you know what, you need to start uh, applying for jobs at, b- at big corporations again. <laughs> um, but I, I would love it if I could end up doing some combination of podcasting and writing about Apple on my own site and some freelance writing and uh, have that be my living. And we'll see if that happens. But certainly right now, after working at that at that big publishing company for all that time, I need to um, I need to have a project that is that I'm I'm charting the course for and that I'm controlling because I my biggest frustration the two years the the last two years I was there was that um, even though I had a highfalutin a highfalutin title, I really I, I couldn't make I couldn't make things change. And some of that was just because of the nature of the business, and some of that was, uh, you know, resistance to those ideas by the people in charge. And you know, yeah, and I just didn't. I just wanted to build like web pages and a website. And I had somebody, Glenn Fleischman, asked me the other day why I didn't have sharing page, like sharing links on my stories, like a Facebook link or all that. And I said, it's junk. I just don't want it. It might be it might drive more traffic if I had them, but I just kind of don't want them because I don't want to junk up the pages. I just came from a place where the pages were completely and thoroughly junked to within inch of their lives by SEO experts and salespeople and all that. And you know, uh, so I, at the very least, this is a long long way of saying I'm kind partly I'm decompressing from that experience and and learning about what I you know what in exactly what I want to do going forward. But part of it is also that. You know, this is the kind of job that exists now that didn't exist when I started doing this. And I'd like to see if I can do it and if I like doing it and all of those things. So far, I know I like doing it. Um, now, the next question is, can I support my family doing it? That is, uh, I'm almost, let's see, I left my last job in January. I know this. Yeah. And and I was in the same boat. Like, we we had a great team, but there was only so much you can do within a corporate environment. Exactly, it has ad requirements and all. No, of I these. read I, you wrote a post about this, and I and I gave me chills reading it because I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it's just it's very familiar. Yeah, it was uh, it was scary though, and and honestly, like I'm not doing as well as I calculated I could be doing by now, but I'm not failing yet either. Right, I've toyed with the idea of going back to a corporate environment, but I've turned down a couple offers and. There are a few that I haven't even explored because I really, I mean, I'm having fun. It's great. It's a good, I'm I'm mentally healthier now than I was in that environment, even though I really, I enjoyed my job up until the end. So, 
I'll tell you, the thing I miss already, having only done this for a month, and the thing that I would like if this does, if this goes well enough, the one of the first things I would like to do is, um, is wor- work with other people because I, I podcasts are collaborative, but like the website is my website and I'm just doing it. And, you know, I appreciate that like John Gruber is Daring Fireball and everything on Daring Fireball is John Gruber. That all said, I kind of miss being on a team. Um, and every, like this week has been a crazy week. There were Apple financials. I got the, I got the Redna iMac. Um, we, we had late last week, we had uh, a Yosemite came out and I am, I am one person and yeah. like literally at the end of the day, if I'm tired, I can't write anymore. Then that stuff just doesn't get written. And I, that, that is something I don't miss the, the corporate aspect of it. And that's what I'm decompressing from, but I do miss the team already. I would love to be able to, to have, you know, a couple, uh, a couple pals who are writing stuff too. And if I could get the economics to work, I would love to get there. But, um, you know, I figured I, I had to start it by myself and, and see where it went before I would do something like that. So this is, this is where we are, but that's the one thing that I do really miss is the, is the, the teamwork. And I get some of the, the camaraderie from like podcasting and stuff, but it's not the same as saying, okay, you take this part of, you know, you take the iMac, I'll take Yosemite and, you know, you write your stuff and I'll write my stuff and we got it covered. And I'm not at that point yet. With do you have six colors. Do you have an editor? I don't. Do you miss that? Well, I, honestly, we, uh, in large part, the stuff we wrote was all peer reviewed. So it goes back to being on a team. Sure. I would send, actually, my Yosemite review, I sent it to Dan Morin and he <laughs> read it over and gave me some comments and sent it back. And he actually has done a couple things for the site, mostly because he doesn't have another uh, gig right now and he wants to kind of keep keep around around that while he's working on some other stuff in the background, some books and some, some, uh, some novels that he's working on and things like that. And that's been great. But yes, that is, that is a thing that I really miss is the peer review where somebody sends me something to read and I say, it looks good. I changed a couple of things and then I send them something and say, can you make sure this isn't crazy? And I don't have that right now. And that's part of the that's part of missing the team that I, I don't have somebody to, to show a preview to and say, does this look okay? Yeah. So that like a dumb mistake doesn't get in. Instead I publish it and then I find four dumb mistakes and fi- fix them. And then Twitter tells me about two more dumb mistakes. And then I get an email from Chris Pepper, the internet's copy editor with <laughs> two more dumb mistakes. And, you know, and some of those mistakes would have gone through in Macworld anyway, but you know, having an extra set of eyes read something is always good. And that's how we did it. It was, it wasn't like there was a, copy editor or even a formal hand in your story to your editor it was occasionally that but mostly it was just you know you'd you'd ping some you'd honestly you'd ping the chat room you'd ping yeah. hip chat or 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 or, uh, or or the like and say or slack or whatever and say can somebody look at this yeah and that's the way for me when i wrote at tua it was uh yeah i could always trust that a i'd have peer review and b editors on staff like mike rose would do an amazing job of fixing my dumb mistakes for me yeah, and totally. I don't have that now. Although when I write longer pieces, I do very much appreciate Jason Remus over at SweatingCommas dot com. Hmm. He 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 does basically freelance blog post editing and technical wow. writing. He's good. All um, right, noted, noted. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes too. He's a he's a smart guy. Um, I I would love to see you like build a team where everyone has a very unique voice because that's what gets lost once a blog gets to a certain size. Mac stories has done really well with it. Yeah. But I would love to see it so that people actually check the byline before they read the post because everyone mm-hmm. has their own kind of a voice. Yep. Yeah, it's true. And, and honestly, one of the reasons why when I started six colors, I wanted it to be me is because I didn't, you know, part of it was I didn't know what it was going to be and whether it was going to work. And I wanted it to, I, I needed my project so I could say, here's what I'm doing now. Uh, but part of it was to establish my voice and say, this is what I'm doing. And I felt like I needed to do that up front, even if I brought in someone else, even if I said to Dan Moran, Hey Dan, why don't you write a few posts a week for me and I'll pay you and yay, we're getting the band back together. I kind of would want to to uh, get my own voice established first because yeah. I don't want it to be samey. In fact, one of the things I've discovered is people are saying, oh, it's great to hear get your voice out there and your headlines are kind of funny and all these things. And the fact is when you're writing for Macworld, even if you fight it, you've got this thing in your back in the back of your head saying, you know, 
I'm, this isn't my banner. This is, this is this brand that's been around for 30 years and I'm writing under that banner. And so you pull some punches, you, and not in terms of like being critical, even in terms of making a reference to a wacky, you know, to a movie or a song or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to establish that. And I feel like I'm doing that, which is great. Uh, before I brought somebody else on, but because you're right, the last thing you want to do is to have it all 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 feel samey again. If I had, if I did go to Dan and say, "Hey, Dan, you know, what, what would you write write some stuff for me or any of my other colleagues from MacWorld who are who are still out there freelancing, or even something like Glenn uh, Fleischman, who's written a couple of pieces for me, if he, if that was going to be a regular thing, I'd want Glenn's stuff to sound like Glenn and not like me. Um, and not like some generic voice that we all sound like, because that's really boring. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, 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 I get it. I'm right there with you. All right. Well, I'm going to take our first sponsor break and tell you about Squarespace. And uh, and we've talked about Squarespace before, but uh, there's big news. They just came out with a new version, Squarespace 7, and they've made everything simpler and easy to use while retaining the power and complexity of the Squarespace platform that you already know. Uh, Squarespace 7 refines all the powerful features from Squarespace 6 into one seamless, unified experience. They've uncluttered your workspace and simplified the whole website-making process by letting you add content and customize your design all in one window. You're going to spend even less time building a site and more time doing what you love. So for a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code BRETTSENTME. Brett with two T's. Uh, There are some great new features with Squarespace 7, like cover pages. Sometimes you just need a simple page to communicate your personal brand, promote a new product, or announce your latest album. Uh, With cover pages, you get all of the power of Squarespace on a single beautiful page. Squarespace is also partnered with Getty to bring you Getty Images integration. You can get access to over 40 million professional stock photographs that would normally cost hundreds, even thousands of dollars per image, but now they're available for just $10 an image for for Squarespace customers. They also have new tastemaker templates. Uh, Squarespace is working with cool musicians, artists, architects, and chefs to develop new templates that cater to each profession. You can use the same designs as the world's most influential people and then customize them to make your own. Uh, So go get started with a free trial, no credit card required, and start building your website today. When you sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code Brett sent me and get 10% off and show your support for Systematic. Thank you to Squarespace for their continued support of the shows on 5x5. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. So, Jason, you create a lot of uh, of content as we've just kind of <laughs> gone over. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are two sides. I mean, the internet is in my opinion, about 10% content creators and 90% consumers. And I, 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 have no, I have no beef with either side of that equation. I just, for myself, I really can only create, I do a horrible job of consuming. How do you, do you, what's your ratio? How much time do you spend reading RSS feeds versus writing? Uh, I don't, well, I don't spend a lot of time reading RSS feeds, honestly. I, I spend a lot of time, I, I'm kind of with you. I spend a lot of time, um, creating and less time consuming. Um, I, I struggle with that, uh, about finding, I use Twitter much more than I use RSS at this point to find interesting sure. things. I'm using my, using my friends and colleagues as, uh, as my filter. Um, thanks guys. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, throughout the day I'm, I'm reading and I'm adding things to like Safari reading list and reading those later. And, and, uh, I, I do some of that, but it's not, uh, at least so far in, in my one month of doing this, it, it's not like I'm leading the, uh, the life where, you know, I spend a few hours, I drink some tea, I read a bunch of articles. I, th- I take a walk. I think about what it all means. And then I come back and, I write on, you know, I write down some thoughts on paper in a field notes journal and then I <laughs> and then I, I I move that over to an outline and then I move it to a text editor and finally begin the writing process. That doesn't I, that, that maybe that's living the dream, I don't know, but that's not that's not what I do. Um 
Uh, finding time for that stuff is hard. I do a lot. Um, I used to do a lot of content consumption on my uh, bus ride to and from work, which I don't have anymore. And so that's actually been one of the challenges. Is It's very easy to say, well, yeah, I could sit down and eat my bowl of oatmeal and drink my cup of tea and read the newspaper or read a novel or read all of the links on Twitter, which is generally what I do when I wake up in the morning and I'm making tea and making the breakfast is read links on Twitter. Um, but uh, it, it's also when you're working at home, you know, it's also like or I could go in there and just start working right now. Um, and cause there's stuff that needs to be done. And so that's a challenge of trying to figure out how to balance those things. Since my podcast that I do, um, one of my many, but the, the, the podcast I do that I've been doing for four years, the incomparable, that is about pop culture that actually does require the consumption of pop culture. So I do try to take time, especially in the evenings, uh, to read books and comics, to, uh, watch movies and TV shows. Um, you know, some of that, some of that stuff is, uh, it varies based on whether the kids are awake or asleep. So like there's some TV shows you can't watch until after the kids go to sleep because <laughs> they're violent or, you know, there's sex or whatever HBO shows. Kids gotta be, kids gotta be asleep by then. But, um, you know, it, finding that time is hard and, um, throughout the day, you know, for me, Twitter, I mean, that's why I use Twitter as a reading thing is that, is that I can dip into Twitter, um, throughout the day. And I do, and it, it, some of that is procrastination based. And some of that is just, I'm done with, you know, these three little tasks and there are always more tasks to do, but I'm going to go pop into Twitter and then I find some links or, um, or I use, I've been using this app called Nuzzle, which is a, a really nice, it's like a really nice RSS reader, except it uses your social uh, stream instead of RSS to pick out links that multiple friends have recommended, which is actually pretty, it's, I found some really great stuff on there that I, that just, you know, scrolled past on Twitter. Is that an iOS uh, app? It is. And it, well, there's a web app too. It's N-U-Z-Z-E-L and, uh, it's really good. I'm liking it a lot. I'm going to write a, I'm going to write a piece about it, um, in the next day or two. Um, cause I like it. I like it. And it's a, uh, <laughs> it's using the same stream that I'm using to find links now, but it's doing a better job of identifying the links than, than I do because I, I, I'm not a Twitter completist. I just can't view all the tweets. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but I, I do try to wall off time in the evening and, and, and on the weekends to, to read books and comics and watch TV and movies and stuff. Cause I like to do that too. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to approximate more or less my working time, some weeks are crazy, like when Apple releases new stuff. But generally, I'm trying to approximate a working day and then, you know, leave the leave the office and close the door and declare the day over. I, I have gotten really good at that. It was difficult at first, but I've been working from home for a decade now, so I'm used uh, to I'm used to kind of the the discipline involved with that. But when I suddenly didn't have anyone to report to anymore, it got a lot harder to like to to have that start and stop point. Because I, right. I wasn't logging into IRC and and saying good morning and checking my tasks for the day. Yeah, when you're a lone wolf, it is like this goes back to the team thing. I mean, I actually have really enjoyed. I'm on a bunch of uh, Slack groups now. I'm on a uh, the incomparable has a Slack group that's kind of quiet. And and since I have two podcasts on Relay FM, um, I have I'm on their Slack group, and those have sort of taken the water cooler spot. And even though they're not telling me like. Um, you know, get back to work. You it, it, at least it provides a little structure, yeah, which is good because you 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 uh, structure is good and it's harder to find it when it's just you. That, that there's no doubt about it. But I have I have learned as a new work from home person that's it's actually pretty easy. My I I converted part of my garage into an office and uh the door is uh right by the front door of the house and it's very easy to close and even deadbolt the. I mean, yeah, if you have to go do laundry, it's back out there. But it's it's like I feel like it's a, almost like a ceremonial exit. I will turn off the power strip that's got all my computer stuff on it, and I will walk out the door and close it behind me, and I'm done for the day. And yeah, if breaking news happens or whatever, I can, I can go back. But it's uh, unless a certain extreme thing happens, I'm done for the day. Move on. And, you know, yeah, I still got my iPad and I can read Twitter and I can follow links and I can think about stuff, but I'm not sitting at my desk going, what's my next task, which is, I think it's really, you always hear about this from people like you who, who've been doing this for a while, but I've definitely tried to take it to heart because it's totally true. You, you gotta, you gotta keep those walls there. You cannot, you could, I could literally work from, 
from wake up to, to go to sleep every day and find things to do. And that's no way to live and that wouldn't be sustainable. I, it sounds like you've got it nailed already. <laughs> my my wife would not appreciate she would say okay you'd need to get a, a job out of the house now and I, I want her to like the fact that i've got some flexibility in my schedule by being home not dislike it because i'm never around because i'm always out in the garage working yeah there's a fine line uh like i i would disappear for weeks at a time into my office while you know everyone else was awake um but then i got to a point where i enjoyed working in the living room for a while on my air and I drove my wife nuts. Yeah. Cause that's I why I set always up, there. That's why I set up the garage uh, offices. We have, we, we our, our house is really small. And so I had no other workplace. So I would either sit on the bed or sit on uh, the couch and then I'm in people's way and they're distracting me and I'm, I'm, you know, I want to watch TV, but you're working. So I can't and all of that. And I wanted a place where I could just retreat and like literally, um, it, it's like, I'm not here uh, and people come in and, and can interrupt and, you know, it's fine, but, um, it, it's, it's good to have that removed. Cause I never used to have that before. That's why I set this up because it was just, I literally had no workplace in the house and that was not going to work long-term. Uh, definitely. I actually built a, an iPhone based pinging system. So no one had to actually interrupt me. Oh yeah, yeah. We we do a lot of iMessage. Um, if my wife wants to know about something, she'll send me an iMessage, even if she's yep. in the house, and I can I can answer or I can say come on in or I can just go out and talk to her or however we want to handle it. Yep, it's it's nice to have that kind of like feel like you're remote but still be accessible. All right, there's one other thing I wanted to to touch base on. Uh, early early on, you did uh, a magazine called Intertext. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about what that was and how it started. Well, I mean, how it started is that I was um, I was a, a college student at UC San Diego, and I was a junior, and I was the news editor of the school newspaper, and I and I was taking a full load of classes. <laughs> And for some reason, I decided that wasn't enough. <laughs> and so I, uh, I was on, you know, this was the early nineties. It was probably 1990. Um, I, and that was, a, that was so early in the internet that, um, there were things that were not on the internet, you know, now, like literally, if you can think of it, somebody is doing it on the internet. Um, that, that was not true in 1990. And so there were, I was a, um, Throughout elementary school and through high school and college, I was a short story writer, and I found that there was all the short fiction on the internet. There were these magazines that did short fiction on the internet, and at one point, uh, there weren't a lot of them. There were like a couple, a handful, and um, and some of the stories I wrote were science fiction. Some of them weren't. Uh, lots of nerds on the internet in the 1980s and 90s, you know, so the, most of the fiction was sci-fi because that's what they read and that's what they were drawn to. And there was this one guy who had a magazine that was not just sci-fi, it was sort of anything, and he decided he couldn't do it anymore. And like literally this doesn't happen now, which is I thought, oh no, now there's not going to be a place for that on the internet. So um, <laughs> two of us who read that magazine decided to do a successor, essentially. And I think we got his mailing list from the, from the guy, a guy named Jim McCabe, who had this magazine called Athene. And we, uh, Jeff Duncan, who was the managing editor at Tidbits for a long time, and that's actually how I got to know Adam and Tanya Angst was through Jeff. Um, and this is about a year after they started doing Tidbits. So we, they beat me. Um, but we, we decided to do this thing called Intertext, and it started in January of 91. And it was, um, this is what I, I, I remind people too, when, when all this Macworld stuff happened, they're like, wow, you know, you were, you were in magazines and now you're on the web. I'm like, well, you know, honestly, I was doing internet magazines and internet publishing before I ever worked at a print magazine. <laughs> it, it went the other direction. Um, so it was distributed via like FTP and posted to Usenet because there was no web in 1991. Right. And so we did a PostScript version that I laid out in PageMaker and printed to a PostScript file using the what are four standard, six standard fonts that were on every PostScript laser printer at the time that were the embedded fonts because you couldn't embed new fonts. It was uh, a lot of them didn't have enough memory to accept it, and it ballooned the size of the file. And the PostScript file was already being zipped and 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 UU encoded and truncated, and then you had to reassemble it. And it was a big job to get that thing to print out. But if you did, it looked like a magazine kind of. It was it was pretty. And then we had the plain text version, which was just 
here it is. It's plain text. And we had an FTP site and we posted it to Usenet and it was bi- it was bi-monthly. It was every uh, so six issues a year with about four stories. Um, when Mark Arment launched the magazine, it really reminded me of Intertext because it was a four stories. I mean, every every two weeks instead of every two two months, but. The four stories on a, on a regular cycle that was like, oh, yeah, I did that for like 52 issues or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we did that for a long time. And then when the web went, you know, when the web started to happen, we set up a website and we had various mailing list providers over the years, like at various universities that gave us space. And then for a while I was sending the mail out myself using a Mac program called ListStar that basically – individually sent every message oh my god it was so bad because the technology just wasn't there yet so so yeah we did that and it was short stories and i had a little i set up a filemaker database and i had a reader panel that would screen the stories for me and they would say um you know they give it a rating and so i'd only read the stories that even passed their their bar um just to save myself time and this this happened you know i graduated from college went to grad school got a job got married um and right when we had our first uh, child, I said to myself, okay, I'm done with this. And it slowed down to maybe like one or two issues a year. And I said, no, this is, at that point, there were way, way too many places on the internet to post fiction. I didn't need to do it anymore. I was doing it mostly because I had been doing it. And I, and so I shut it down. But, um, but that was, a, I mean, that was a really cool, um, fun side project. And throughout my career, I have had those creative side projects. Um, I think it's telling that, um, you know, you write about technology and, and one of the things you want to do is play with the technology you're going to write about and try to see if you can apply it. And I, I see this in a lot of, a lot of people in our, uh, circles now, including you of like, you know, what can you do with this thing? Right. <laughs> and so for me, intertext was one of those things. Cause I wanted to see about using the internet for distribution. And I loved publishing and stories and things like that. And I had access to PageMaker at my, my college newspaper. And I had access to the internet through the, the college internet accounts. So I did that. And then I did, um, you know, in the mid nineties, I did a, a blog. Essentially, I think we didn't even have the word blog yet. A blog about television with a with, with a bunch of my college friends called TV, and that was a side project for a while. And that started as me experimenting with like CGI scripts on web servers to do includes and stuff like that. And I was like, "What could I do with this? I know I'll make a website." And that was then that was a project for who knows how long. And then the incomparable was the logical sort of like next one of those where it was like, let's do a podcast and talk about this. And I'll learn about what podcasts are and how they work. And so that's been a, that's been a recurring theme, but intertext was really the, the start of it. Because again, you have to ask yourself, why would somebody who's taking a full load of classes and is the news editor at his college newspaper, um, so working a lot on school and working a lot on on the newspaper stuff, which was not a class, it was just something you did in the evenings. Why would why would that person say, "Hey, I know, let's do more work"? But I had the energy and the enthusiasm, so I did it. So obviously, there's something in me about like I need to have an outlet for this other stuff that's maybe a little more creative than than the stuff that I'm doing is my main thing. Yeah, it sounds like a big part of it is actually curiosity, like that uh, that what can I do with this kind of drive. Uh, and suddenly seeing an outlet for other ideas that you had. It sounds like you've been a pioneer in in many areas of technology and media. Well, you know, uh, the advantage of writing about technology is that you see this new technology. And then you say to yourself, huh, I wonder what I could do with that. And so you end up trying stuff maybe a little bit before other people. And, and I mean... The, the internet stuff, it, it, when I was at UCSD, I had been a bulletin board guy in high school, computer bulletin boards before yeah, there was an internet. So. so, right. So when I got there, I was like, oh, I get this. I totally get what this is. And I found Usenet and those are just, you know, inter- international, but they're just message boards and, you, you know, and, and, and so that, and likewise, when I was at Mac user and I was doing stories about WebStar and CGI scripts for web servers, I, it was that moment of like, I could do something with this. And you start as being like, I'm writing a story about this, so I'm going to do a test site. And then it becomes a project on its own. And I think that's, I mean, that's the great advantage of, of, I feel like this is true with podcasts too, even now, which is, you know, the, the, the people like us end up being the ones who try it out first because it's probably more technical than most people are going to be able to get yet. It won't be, in a few years, but right now it is. And also because the people we 
are talking to are also more likely to want to get it because they're ahead of the the curve too. They're they've got the idea of like I can get a podcast app and put it on my phone and you know so it's an advantage. Um, uh, it also means that I I feel like we we end up knowing what's going to happen. I always felt like this with MacWorld that you know we knew what the magazine industry was going to be like five years before anybody else because our audience was. Uh, more technically savvy. And so like when the web happened, we're like, everybody's going to have to do this on the web. And, you know, it was another five or 10 years before People Magazine, right, would do the same thing that Macworld would do. And, you know, even to the end of like, we're going to shut down print and do this iPad edition and all of that. It was like, you know, this is going to happen for everybody, but we were there first. So I think it's a combination of us uh, as creators being exposed uh, to this technology and thinking about the possibilities just before other people, because the bars may be a little higher and it's a little esoteric. And then also that the kind of stuff we're doing is reaching an audience that is also a little more advanced, you know, but not, not necessarily smarter. That's not, not what I'm saying, but like further ahead, like they're more comfortable with the technology and everybody else will be more comfortable with it in five years, but they're comfortable with it now. And so that's a great combination. And so you end up with, you know, I think podcasts is a good example where podcasts are, are, I think have potential to be huge. They're not huge yet, but, um, you know, that's why there's so many great like tech podcasts now and maybe not as many great knitting podcasts. My wife listens to a <laughs> knitting podcast. Knitting podcast is perfectly good, but I think, um, you know, it takes time for some other uh, groups. And I'm totally not dissing knitting. My wife does listen to knitting podcasts and knitting has there. There's a social network for knitting called Ravelry and it it, it was going uh, early, but it exploded just, you know, again, a little bit later than some of the other social networks, but it did explode. So it's like you knew it was going to explode. It was just a question of how long until you reach that audience and that audience was comfortable enough to, to embrace it. And then it would, it was no doubt that it was going to explode. Wow. Knitting. <laughs> Check it out. Ravelry. It's a, it's huge. It's Facebook for knitting. I, I, <laughs> I have to say one thing before, before I do the next sponsor, and this jumps all the way back to why you don't have Facebook buttons on your posts. <laughs> yeah, that was, I remember that. So Good call back. <laughs> um, I see, I don't, I have, uh, I have little Twitter text links on my posts. Um, I don't know why I felt like it was necessary at some point, but I, I've never wanted a Facebook button because I never, I never use them because they feel so sketchy. Like you feel like you're giving away so much data every time you click one of those, mm-hmm. you're leaving your, your breadcrumb trail. And I feel like yeah. that's become true of all, all sharing buttons. Yeah. And, and I, again, talking about different audiences, I don't think an audience that's reading Mac nerd stuff on the internet is confused about uh, copying and pasting a URL from a story. Right on. Yeah. Right. I think in another context with people who are less technical and they're comfortable with Facebook, they feel like Facebook is a major part of their internet. They maybe aren't as confident in, well, you just do command L command C and you've got the URL on your clipboard. And then you, you know, command tilde to a different window and then command V to paste it in. You know, that's, that's second nature to us, but for other people, totally not. Um, For them, Tapping that share button on Facebook, that's a good thing. So if I was running a different site, I might be more inclined. But, I, I you know, but yeah, it, it, it's not only is it a little bit creepy, um, and I agree with you about that, but, but it's also just junky. It's like, if you do that, why not add another one and another one and another one? And I've seen that happen. Every design redesign that I ever went through at Macworld, we would start with a very nice, clean site. And then over the course of the next six months, business development people would come in and drop a gigantic load of crap all over every page template because they made a deal with this company and they wanted to add this button to increase their you know, stickiness with this social whatever. And, you know, it doesn't start – it doesn't stop at one. <laughs> I know just exactly keeps, what you're saying. Right? It keeps going. And I just – so to, to even like to start it. It's like, yeah, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. Maybe someday I will think about a better way of doing it. But right now it's just like I'm just not I'm just not interested. It's 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 and I think I think the audience wouldn't like it because they're not someone who's really comfortable with Facebook. They're um, not taking BuzzFeed quizzes. 
Yeah, and Facebook following them around the web too. I mean, there's that face pile module that actually shows you pictures of your friends. And yeah, that's, and that's what I'm talking about. That's the that's stuff so that creeps creepy. me out. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's not it, they don't the site doesn't really know you. It's cuz that's a page that's loading from Facebook, but it's still it's still creepy. And I you know, even even if you shop for a hammock and then you find ads for hammocks on various sites you visit, right. yeah. that's creepy. Even though I understand how how that works, and there's an ad network, and they 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 you have a cookie, and they know that you were looking for hammocks. That's fine. There's something about that when you see it that like somebody knows what I just did. Even if even if you just roll your eyes and are like, "Yeah, guys, I already bought the hammock. You're wasting your money." Doesn't matter. Um, it's it's weird, and uh, I would prefer not to do it <laughs> in my life as a as a content consumer or creator. I would prefer not to do it. One hundred percent agree. <laughs> All right. So if you enjoy design or just creating unique things, this next sponsor is definitely for you. SnapTee is an awesome tool that helps you create one-of-a-kind shirts with virtually whatever design you like. SnapTee has endless design options to choose from, and you can even import your own designs to use. And besides being a tool for creating shirts yourself, SnapTee also works as an app where you can follow your favorite artists and buy their designs. You can even favorite certain designs and also see what designs other users users have favorited as well. And it's more than a design app, it's a design community. If you don't know where to start, you can get some inspiration from the millions of pre-designed t-shirts in the SnapTea locker. SnapTea is free to use. Just have, head over to snaptea.co slash get app or download the app itself from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Here's the best part, though. When you purchase your own masterpiece, be sure to enter 5x5 Systematic at checkout, and you'll get 10% off of your purchase, including oh, excluding sweatshirts. Yeah, excluding sweatshirts. Uh, so go download SnapTea and start creating your, your new favorite shirt. It's so easy that you can even do it while you're listening to this podcast. Neat. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So top three picks. We'll have to whiz Ooh. through these kind of, but what's your, uh, what's your number one? Uh, in, in, they're not ranked. What's your first one? Uh, I like this because listeners of The Incomparable will know that I like to draft things, you know, where you go around and do the round robin thing. So this is, I'm going to treat this like a draft. It's very exciting. Um, I am going to pick the aforementioned Retina iMac as my uh, number one thing because it's pretty awesome and I'm going to buy one and I have never bought an iMac for me before, like we said, and uh, the, the prospect of a, you know, four gigahertz i7 processor and a 27-inch retina screen on my desk every day, that's pretty cool. So that was an easy one. So that's what I'm going to pick. And one we've already discussed at length. So yeah, yes, that's a fast one. Speedy. Boom. So my first pick is going to be BitTorrent Sync, which is... It's been out in beta for quite a while, mm-hmm. but they uh, they published uh, results of some rather intense speed tests today. Uh, and based on a controlled experiment that's easily replicatable, uh, they show that BitTorrent Sync can uh, sync a 1.3 gigabyte video file between two MacBook Pros on the same network in 41 seconds. And uh, Dropbox takes 16 times that to do the same thing. So um, I've been using BitTorrent uh, Sync with my two minis, my MacBook Air, and my remote mini in Vegas with Mac Mini Colo. And I, it's, it is amazingly fast. Like I save a file on one and then I go to the other computer and it's already there. I, uh, I, I recommend checking it out. All right. I've used that. That's, it's cool. Um, I am going to say BBEdit 11 which, as we record this, came out a few hours ago. Uh, BB Edit is the 22, I'm going to say, year old now text editor, Mac text editor. Uh, it's my text editor of choice. I write almost everything I write other than my novels, uh, which I use Scrivener for, in BB Edit. I have lots of little scripts and stuff that do neat things. I use their search uh, with grep searches and a bunch of their other cool text processing features. And previous markdown, which I know is near and dear to your heart. <laughs> um, although it turns out that you can't set a default template in BB Edit. To, anyway, I, I found a fascinating, I found a thing that even the developer didn't realize wasn't in there. He assumed it was. I'm like, well, 
It's not. Uh, anyway, it does lots of things and I like it. And uh, I've been using it for almost 20 years myself, I think. Wow. Um, and it's still my choice. Every now and then I mention BB Edit and somebody shouts something about uh, a different text editor as if I'm not aware of the other text <laughs> editors that are available. I am aware other text editors are available, including one that's got a big following and requires you to uh, configure all of its preferences in a text file, which I am opposed to. BB Edit doesn't make you do that. And also it works with my brain now because I've been using it for so long that I can't even imagine using something else. So new version just came out. First new version in – first uh, paid upgrade in two and a half years. No longer in the Mac App Store for various reasons. But there's an upgrade price for people who did have the Mac App Store version to buy it uh, – buy the upgrade directly from bare bones. So BB Edit. Studies 11. show that switching text editors every five years prevents Alzheimer's. Interesting. No, they Interesting. Don't. it well, doesn't. But th- there was a study done with a, a convent of nuns that had never in like 150 years had an incident of Alzheimer's. And they found that it was because they changed careers at the age of 50 huh. and completely re- rewired ah, their brains. Rewire the pathways. That's brilliant. Well, if that, if that happens, then maybe I will uh, start using Sublime Text when I turn 50. I hope that they have uh, moved their configuration <laughs> into a UI by then. But until then, I'm going to use BB Edit. All right. Cool. Um, all right. My second pick is Prompt 2 from Panic. Mm, uh, nice. The iOS SSH application. Uh, the new version has uh, clips where you can take common commands, stuff, stuff you type really often and access them with a, just a tap. And my other favorite part is the uh, SSH key generation and installation is now extremely easy. You can create secure password list logins to your favorite servers it, it's super simple i love it cool and for my uh third pick i'm gonna choose fantastical 2.2 which is also a new release just uh, came out uh the day that we recorded this um it's uh from flexibits it is an ios calendar app replacement for the uh, the standard Apple calendar app. It's got a lot of nice features, including uh, just typing in what the what the thing is, like uh, go you know go get ice cream at three p.m. and it does all the work for you. Um, and I found in iOS eight the calendar app on the iPad to be really weird and flaky. Like I can crash it um, regularly just by editing certain events in certain ways. And so I need I would like to edit those events. So uh, I find Fantastical 2.2. I don't love some of their iPad interface, but the beauty of it is it's so flexible that if you don't love one interface, you just drag it around and find another interface view and including a, a view that looks very much like Apple's calendar but is just a little bit better. So um it's a nice app. It's a free update from Fantastical 2, which is in the App Store. Um and I I love it on my iPhone and I have come to embrace it with iOS 8 on my iPad too. I use it on my iPhone and my Mac and I can't remember the last time I opened Calendar. It's a great app. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I open Calendar on my Mac to sometimes to do sort of like fiddly things, but all my quick entry and quick view on my Mac is also Fantastical. Yeah. Nice. All right. My last pick is a book. It's called The 12 Bottle Bar. It's, uh, I forget the author's name. I just got this book. I was supporting a local bookstore. I I rarely buy physical copies of books, but Mm. I did. And I found this one by uh, David Salmonson and Leslie Jacobs Salmonson. And it's how to build a bar that you can create hundreds of cocktails with using 12 bottles. And some of those bottles are bitters and things. So it's a, it's a, it's a cool book for people who enjoy esoteric cocktails. Cheap, cheaply, cool. cheaply created esoteric cocktails. Cool. All right. Well, that brings us to the sign-off. Do you want to tell everyone all the, the myriad places you can be found? Okay. Let me, let me see if I can do this. So I write about Apple stuff and other uh, tech and geek stuff at sixcolors.com, S-I-X colors.com. I uh, podcast about technology, uh, two shows at Relay.fm. One is called Upgrade with Mike Hurley, um, and one is called Clockwise, and that's with Dan Morin and two guests. 
in the, and it's guaranteed 30 minutes long only. It's not one of those long podcasts, um, if you like that sort of thing. And then my pop culture podcast network is The Incomparable at theincomparable.com. That's the main show, which is also on 5x5, which you're listening to right now. And then a whole bunch of spinoffs, including um, a D&D podcast that I'm on called Total Party Kill. And um, a, a cool one that I just started um, – I know the guy who is the chief TV critic at the Hollywood Reporter, and he's uh, and so I'm kind of doing the Dan Benjamin thing of producing an, a show and and being a conduit for a really interesting person and getting him his voice out there. So that's called he's called uh, Tim Goodman, and the show is called TV Talk Machine, and uh, that's been a lot of fun to do because he's like totally wired in and telling stories about network executives that he's met and stuff like that, and I get to do like I said, I get to play the Dan Benjamin part and just sort of like ask him questions and. Uh, and then produce the show, which has also been kind of a fun uh, career change kind of thing for me to produce somebody else's show. So nice. the, incom- the incomparable relay.fm and six colors. All right. And, uh, and you're on Twitter, I assume. At JSnell on Twitter. Are. I am endlessly on Twitter. Yeah, I'm, not, right. I'm no Glenn Fleischman. I don't like over, over tweet, but I am on <laughs> Twitter. I'm so on Twitter. Awesome. All right. And that will all be in the show notes. And I am Brett Terpstra. I am TT Scoff everywhere you care to look. And yes. I blog at brettterpstra.com. And that was episode 119. Thanks for being here, Jason. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. It, it was good talking to you. Um, we will see everybody. I may take next week off just so everyone knows. I'll do a makeup show, but I'm going to Vermont. I love you all still. Um, Yeah, so see you in one or two weeks. Thanks for listening.